No, it was supposed to be this sound on microphone. Is that why you made Perry get you another beer? Yeah. No, Perry took my beer. Yeah. Is that why Perry confiscated you? Yes. Let's did move I, on. Let's did, move on. I screwed Then you up. did the same dumb thing that I my did. My bad. Um, so we we were we had a couple time zones covered this year or this week rather uh, Dubai Detroit and Dallas this week we were in Houston not Dallas well Dallas I think sounds better when you say Dubai Detroit and Dallas you can't just make up a city because of <laughs> alliteration we weren't that yeah well it's my show I say what I want I'm Ace Callwood and I'm Scott Wayne and this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Hey, welcome back, man. <laughs> well, welcome back. You've traveled more than I have this week. Yeah, we went to the desert and back. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went to Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> the desert was the Houston part, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was interesting because, you know, Dubai is this, it's built, look, I mean, it was 1971, the United Arab Emirates was, was created, brought together seven Emirates to create a country. And, uh, you know, and Dubai was built out, out of the desert in this incredible modern skyscrapers and contemporary city. And, um, but it's sort of, it's, it's known as being, you know, it, it's all concrete. Yeah. Um, as it has to be. And then, then I flew straight from there to Houston. I was like, oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Houston, Houston blows my mind, though. It's the fourth largest city in the United States. Yeah, it's massive. It's I don't enormous. Th- it's sprawling. Nobody thinks of it. You, it's you think When you think of cities, you think of Chicago and San Francisco. Yeah. And yeah, it has this very low profile, but huge, huge economy. Um, and uh, we were staying at a, a great hotel, of which I can't remember the name, and I should name drop it. But I, was, I went to bed very early because I was tired after f- flying in and woke up very early so i was sort of roaming around the hotel almost like bill murray in that uh that that <laughs> japanese tokyo film uh, uh, it was the uh, uh c baldwin by yeah Hilton. okay that's what i was saying yeah. but i realized i have this affinity for for empty bars very very early in the morning and the hotel bar was i don't know why like, do you do you go to do you sit at the bar well do you just like that what i found myself is i straightened a stool <laughs> Is I walk through the lobby and it's just it's there. It's like this very retro. Uh, it's like um, uh, what do we call it? Not ancient modern. Uh, mid-century modern. Mid-century modern. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ancient, ancient modern. modern. And very it's Dan sort Draper of like it's very like T- the, the TWA the hotel. hotel. It's very yeah. much like that. So I walked in. I'm staring at it, but but the the stool right in the center was like slightly <laughs> off. And so I moved it and then stepped back and looked at this whole bar. It was big. And then the janitor was like standing in a corner just watching this <laughs> mad person. It was like 4 a.m. or something. Uh, it was ridiculous. Anyway. Oh, so, yeah, clearly. Houston was great. Um, and actually, I was there. I, I, I'm not going to say too much about um, uh, the Dubai stuff. But the in Houston, we were there with uh, a renewable energy company. You know, we were in the heart of the oil business with yeah. renewables, which, uh, I mean, it's a lot safer that. But the thing I was not expecting was we were there at the invitation of the chief executive. He, he's asked us to be there a couple of times. And uh, it was there's a new CFO, a Norwegian uh, chapman. There were two things that were just really charming. One was um, he wanted to talk about a hearing impediment that he has. Mm. And he wanted the whole team to talk mm-hmm. about it and what he hears and different bandwidth and, and uh, 
I was really great. But then he delivered this in the middle of the Q&A, this motivational rallying speech. And I have to say, it has really? raised the bar for every CFO in the country. Wow. He just knocked it out of the park. It was, it was an inspiring little session. Oh, I dig that. All right. Do we have a sponsor for this week? Uh, we do. We do have a sponsor because it was like Christmas for uh, Envoy the other day. Um, you, me, and V got Insta360 Flow gimbals. They have not paid us to say anything, but like I, we travel a lot. We've realized that putting the big heavy kit in our bags to schlep around the world is pretty tough. And so uh, I did like a full review of all the gimbals out there for our phones, which are pretty incredible cameras, and landed on Insta360 Flow. And it has been. You need to explain sweet. what a gimbal is. Most of the people who listen yeah, to this uh, won't know what a gimbal is. So it's a. It looks like a selfie stick, but it's got some motors in it um, that keep your camera or your phone stable while you're filming. It's like a gyroscope. So it's a, a handheld uh, camera stabilizer, um, so you can you can get like really good, full of motion shots with your camera while you're traveling and on the fly. But should we be clear about the first time you trialed one of these gimbals <laughs> for the iPhone, saying you know the iPhone lenses were so good and we knew we could find a way to. To Jimmy, the lent, the microphones was that. There's going to be a gotcha here, and I don't remember. You took the box with you to Singapore mm -hmm. last autumn. Mm -hmm. After you had to schlep a full camera, tripods, cameras, and only when we got to Singapore did you go, "Oh yeah, we don't need any of that shit." Yeah. And all the way back, as I'm <laughs> lugging this gear, I'm like, maybe he opened the box before we left on the trip to Asia to go film. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that would have made that would have made sense because I had a whole rig going on and didn't need to. The things you learn. So anyway, um, I found a gimbal I really like for the team, and you and V have been playing with them and seemed. Yeah, to I like want to. Well. I want to be clear. TSA does not like them. I got stopped everywhere with yeah, this well, thing. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just your face because I don't get stopped. Uh, more importantly, it's Super Bowl season as we go to the Zeitgeist. Yeah, so uh, Super Bowl season, I would like to shout out Taylor Swift, um, because after a singular season in the league, she's going to the Super Bowl, and I think that's more impressive than any player who's come out. I love these football fans who are upset <laughs> that people are taking an interest in the most boring sport in the world, because Taylor Swift is now watching it. And I would just present this challenge to anybody who's going to say, no, football's great, I love it, I drive it. I am yet to be at a viewing or at a game where something happens and I say, what just happened? And I can get more than two people to agree what actually happened. Nobody knows the rules to this thing. Nobody knows what's involved in it. Perry's laughing right now, slightly worried because his face initially was like, I could say, but it was when I said two people to agree that that thing happened. Ridiculous mm -hmm. game. No, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of chatter though. Like Taylor Swift is the worst thing to happen to NFL. And, um, I would just like to remind anybody who shares that stance that uh, assault and battery cases of NFL players are not particularly awe-inspiring. Uh, if we think Taylor Swift is the worst thing that happened in the NFL, I think we need to take a deeper look at what actually happens in the NFL. Um, for NFL players, pulled a couple stats. Domestic violence is the highest criminal charge at 55% of total arrests made. And... Uh, uh, yeah, um, if we remember Ray Rice a couple years ago, um, 
video, like some pretty damning video, only got a two-game suspension after knocking his fiance out. So I don't know. Maybe we got bigger shit in the NFL to worry about than Taylor Swift on screen. Yeah, there's. Um, it feel it feels to me that the NFL is a. Uh, it it has its it has its barriers up, that it is one of those things that if it were invented today, uh, various entities would have views about its existence. But because it exists, it exists. Mm-hmm. But they um, they're looking at the playbook of other industries that have that have built the walls outside of it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I mean, look. Hey, lastly, no, I want to, I want to, I want to like capture the the last piece of like, oh my gosh, we're seeing Taylor on screen too much. Um, AFC Championship game. Taylor was on screen for forty four total seconds of coverage. That is uh, means ninety nine point six one percent of the broadcast was not Taylor Swift. Uh, so I don't know. I like I, a lot of people up in arms and upset about a thing that doesn't seem to be a thing. And 44 seconds seems to be the equivalent where they accidentally like film a pigeon mm-hmm. on the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, okay. yeah, it's there we go. Okay. I mean, um, hey, I, so I had a, you know, just for a second, I love that anybody thinks that this woman <laughs> gives two shits <laughs> what anybody thinks about. And given what's been going on in the AI world, mm-hmm. uh, and given, mm-hmm. given that again, like to the average football fan, um, Unaware that tremors are rumbling through the headquarters of TikTok because because Universal Music Group have pulled the library, but mainly her library, from yeah. this, and we're like, oh, she shouldn't she shouldn't mm-hmm. be on telly for the football match. All right, okay, yeah. can we please move on? Hey, um, so I had a thing that was going to be under yelling at clouds, but. Um, over the couple, I'm curious if you're seeing a trend as well. I don't think we'll start a trend section for ERR, but um, I had this, it's a screenshot from a newsletter that I read regularly, and this is the paid partner content. Uh, one of the ads says, top ways to get money without getting a job, and then says, uh, food, bills, rent, gas, they dry up everybody your take-home pay, but with a few smart moves, you could supplement your income without doing much extra, quote, work, end quote. I'm like, that's the ad. And I had it under yelling at clouds, like, we're getting advertised, all of these things about People not asking you to, to be a sex worker. I mean, look, I'll try anything twice. Hey, on that note, so, so that's where I go, without doing much extra work was what led to that. But can we just do a quick sideline? Oh, Did God. I tell you about this? No. So last week, we were at this, I forget where we were, this thing, and I was talking to a guy who played rugby. What are we talking about? Mm. Like mm-hmm. brilliant sports, mm-hmm. right? So the sport of rugby, <laughs> a lot like football without without the padding. Sure. Yeah. So they actually, it's not at all. <laughs> but I was talking to a guy about what position he played, and he played hooker, which is in the center of the scrum, yeah. right? And yeah. I was saying how I occasionally played hooker. It's a really hard position. You get head beaten in often. And Vera like swung by me and she said, "I've told you we don't use that word. It's sex worker." <laughs> <laughs> and the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Update, no, sir. no, no. We were actually talking about, and so then she's got that like the Vera mortified look. Oh, it's gold. Anyway, so she's you're going to murder you. So your paid partner content, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so I was, I was incensed. At, like, oh my gosh, we're we're advertising. Like, here's how you don't have to do much work. But I've had several conversations with very. Very smart, I think, at least. Um, very well-employed, very like just driven people 
who are sharing the sentiment that, hey, I just need to de-stress and I'm looking for avenues to make some supplemental income online by building things that generate revenue very quickly and, and are more passive income streams. And uh, like it's probably three, maybe four people in the last week and a half, two weeks who have shared similar sentiments. So I kind of pulled it up and I'm wondering if you're seeing that theme, that thread of, hey, it's been pounding and I'm trying to find avenues to lessen some of that stuff. That, that's, I'm just, it's an anecdotal observation of conversations I've had. So, so this is where I've become Tyrannosaurus Rex. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hmm. Like, well, right. what, so enough. what is the easy, how do you make money by without doing the work? Oh, I don't know. I, oh, I, I didn't click through the app. <laughs> no, but, but, so what I'm saying is I saw this and I was, I was in your Tyrannosaurus Rex boat of just, this is ridiculous. How does that actually, it seems like a ridiculous way to advertise. It seems like one of those clickbait type of things. Here's how you, like you end up in a multi-level marketing scheme. Yeah, I think there's that. I, I also think there's this idea of like you can be a, you can be a, like you can be an influencer or you can promote things. The, the trouble with that, I just, I just wish people in, Western economies would think through the economics is if it were possible to do that, wouldn't you outsource that to a lower cost country? I, so why, why would you do it here? It's a bit like the MLM thing. And I've always struggled like the, the four hour work week from yeah. Tim, whatever he's called. Yeah. But yeah, he yeah. made his living selling books about a four hour work week mm -hmm. and vitamin supplements. And there's a limit to how many vitamin supplements you can sell. Like it, there's, I get it. I don't know. Laws I, of economics, man. Those laws suck. They really do, you know, things that people will pay for. And but I, I, I think my takeaway here is, particularly is a lot of the folks tuned in are at the executive level. I think the drive and the hustle and the like desire to execute for us, I'm seeing, I'm hearing folks at our level of seniority now saying, I'm looking for the passive income stream. Like there's, there's that kind of pressure. Yeah, but like, I, I, he's like, just listen to our words for a second. Who isn't looking for the passive income stream? Mm -hmm. Like, so, so visualize the words. It's a stream that has income coming down it, and you don't have to do anything for it. I want that to run through my house too. Yeah. But I, but I do think we're hitting on something, which is people are burned out. Yes. What we're not matching. I would love to hear a conversation which says, "I'm burned out. I'm going to stop eating in restaurants and I buy less shit." Mm -hmm. But I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing. I want the same stuff, but I don't want to work for it. And I, well, you can tell I have no tolerance for it. What I do think, though, is that like a recalibration of um, we are, America is leading the world right now in economic growth. America is also frazzled, right? It's, it's at its edges is can we, can we de-link the idea of GDP growth from like success mm -hmm. can can we you know and i i'm not saying that we we act like you know uh we're not wearing hair shirts and and living in caves but maybe just ac acknowledge that there's a balance that everything is paid for somewhere sure. and we we recalibrate i think the other bit is we are going to have to have a conversation about universal basic income as we think about ai because isn't this going to exaggerate what we've already seen over the past decade is a, a fissure.
between those at the top on a skill space and those at the bottom. And the big distraction for this is the mega rich. Mm -hmm. We go, oh, we want to be with it. But, but that doesn't matter. That's a few outliers. And even when people are like, oh, we should tax the mega rich, sure. But it doesn't really make a big difference to the bottom line mm. because the, the vast strata of wealth and income exists sort of the tier below. But you've seen like um, lower income jobs have got lower skilled mm -hmm. and higher income jobs have got higher and higher skilled. Well, surely AI is going to further exaggerate that. It's going to further wreck the mm. classic middle class. So if you're not, if you are not learning skills, developing what, whatever is the latest tool, you're going to fall into that bottom category pretty quickly. And I don't wonder if there doesn't need to be, you know, that UBI that just keeps people at a base level to close that gap. Um, because I think we're going to see, yeah. I feel like we get into that top bubble just like we like sneak in. Like us. Yeah. 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 And for everybody else, It's, yeah. Right. Do you know what? We're so down this afternoon. Paris, I wouldn't Paris listen to this podcast. At us. Uh, <laughs> All right. Perry, Perry's laughing at us. I could go back to hooker jugs. I love it. Rugby. Rugby. See? Envoy Tank Radio. So I'm just going to say this. Um, the, uh, the Ministry of Defense in the UK a couple of weeks ago announced that they successfully shot down drones with laser beams on they they have these test ranges off the coast of Scotland like where there's nothing but fish and vikings and <laughs> they um and the vikings can take it but all i'm going to say is we're going somewhere next week in america <laughs> and so i just i if you're listening that sets the bar han solo man I blasters to play with blasters yeah oh uh, um you want to talk about uh, Culture shit. Can we do tools for tools? Yeah. 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 Uh, so culture change. I, I we we get asked often, do we do culture work? And and our running response is no, we don't. We think about behavior and behavioral economics and and then influence or nudging people toward better decisions. When we talk about nudges. I think we've talked about nudges on ERR. Um, but. Uh, Back to kind of running themes that I'm seeing in our work. I had an executive, I think, over the last day or two, was saying, hey, culture is daunting. And I'm having some anxiety around trying to change the culture of our organization. A um, couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with another executive, uh, government exec, who was saying, um, he was like, what do you mean we don't define culture as leaders? And my response was, we don't define culture, we define the behaviors that are acceptable or not acceptable, and culture comes out as a function of that. Um, so this is, this is borrowing from the body of work of Lily Zhang, who's a, a, an activist and a speaker, and I've had some time to kind of jam with Lily. Um, and what they talk about is behaviors that we won't tolerate, rather than the aspirational statements for how we exist as an organization. And I think that is maybe the, the most tangible way we can think about the actual culture change we want, is talking about what we will and won't tolerate, what we can observe, and what, if we're doing across an organization what we want, we will see X behavior, and if we see Y behavior, we can nip it in the bud very quickly. 
that to me is interesting on the culture front. So you you talked about this with a call with a with yeah. a client today, which is just picking off individual behaviors, shifting that, and then moving on to the next one, and moving on to the next one. Oh, or maybe you're addressing two or three at the same time, but what you're not trying to do is the overarching uh, culture piece. And this this whole like what we won't tolerate is I, I've seen this trying to be executed. It's it's yeah. very hard yeah. because you're saying no scott you overspoke somebody in that room we don't we don't accept that yeah it's this sort of policing and intervention it's that uncomfortable. Like leads to the behavior change where the behavior just stops so you don't need the intervention but it's really uncomfortable yeah but there's a whole industry that is built around huge project charts and internal like internal comms and what i mean by that is like value statements in the elevators and and team huddles and the likes and and you're saying it can work, but you need a millennia to do it. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes 10, 20 years to shift culture. As people talk about it, that's what you want. That takes a long time. But if we start thinking about behaviors, we'll start seeing some incremental change. And a series of incremental changes added up over time is a culture shift. Do you think, um, do you think it can be done? As in, that you can turn around the place. I was, I was trying to think of examples where the corporate culture has shifted. The CEO of Boeing is taking a lot mm, of ownership mm -hmm. over the culture around quality and safety. They're just, they're just owning it. Um, now, whether they're really owning it or they've been given advice to own it, no, we'll, we'll see. I was actually thinking about Uber the other day uh, for two reasons. One, I found myself, wow, the power of becoming a verb. Because mm -hmm. we say to Uber mm -hmm. rather than rideshare, I'm finding myself opening the Uber app instead of the Lyft. And that's going to have consequences for Lyft on a macro scale. Yeah. But, you know, when you think about um, all of the criticism that, that was pointed at Uber under the reign of Travis Kalnick, is that his name? Travis something or other. Yeah. Then, but um, the guy with the Persian name that nobody can remember who took over, nobody, that I can't remember. <laughs> um, it was Travis Kalanick. And, yeah. Uh, Oh, Dara, 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 Dara. So he's just known by Dara. That's what. It but all of that is out of the news. So either they have addressed it or they haven't. But it's not making headlines anymore. And it, I feel it would make headlines if it was terrible in there because people would be like, "Oh, this hasn't changed," and and they failed. I feel a little bit that way with Microsoft too. Is that Microsoft was seen as this place that couldn't do any form of innovation at all. And look, I'm not celebrating Microsoft. I don't think. But, but um, I feel that uh, Satya Nadella has at least that the attitude has changed. And you know, when you look at the most valued AI entity in the moment, he's leading it. Yeah, I I think it's really hard. It's really hard to do. And there are only a handful of of major companies that we know that have overhauled culture. And I think part of that is is probably making space for churn in the ranks, right? Like, oh, like yeah. that's How the hard many part. people do you exit yeah. in order to, like, a, yeah. Mm, it's, uh, there's, there's a longer conversation there. Um, but it's a fascinating one. And so there, there's the tool. If culture is daunting to you and culture change, that's because it's a big thing and it probably should be daunting. Uh, but we might very, like, cliche on elephant and bites and whatever they say um individual behavior and what we will and won't tolerate 
and making sure that's observable and therefore shiftable, I think, is, uh, is pretty important. Let's go to yelling at clouds. And by yelling at clouds, I mean not yelling today. I, I, have, I have been um, thinking about talking less, listening more, as it ironically as we talk about this on recorded radio. Um, yeah, I, I just, I as a mediator have to remind myself regularly that like listening is so incredibly powerful. We talk about it often, we, we share and like work through how to listen. And uh, yeah, I think for me, like the listening piece, I remember back to when we were kind of in that, it, the George Floyd summer of racial reckoning and all of the graffiti on the monuments in Richmond, Virginia were all over the place. Um, and I went out and I was doing some filming for a, <laughs> a, a PBS show. It was, it was a, a kind of wild morning with a PBS film crew and we were out at uh, the, the Lee Monument in Richmond. And we're at the pedestal that has graffiti all over it. And there's a guy in a Vietnam uh, war cap uh, with a bucket of soapy water who was brushing, like scrubbing mm. the pedestal. Mm. And I remember I ended up, I, I ended up having a conversation with him and it, it became heated. Um, and, you know, he was like, well, you know, it's just disrespectful to have these words spray painted, all this profanity spray painted on the monument. And I said, is that the thing that we're concerned that kids will see? Or is this testament to a lost cause and a racist ideology maybe more concerning for the kids to be taught by? And like that was my counter. And that sounds like I was right. I say that in this righteous way. And actually, from that interaction, the only thing I wished I had done was taken the guy who was overweight and had a cane and thought it was important enough to be out in the sweltering heat of Richmond on that summer day to scrub down the monument. It was that important to him. The thing that I wish most is that I had walked over with him to the shade and asked what his name was and sat down and tried to better understand why he felt as strongly as he did about the thing. That's actually what, as I think back about on that day, rather than being right, I wish I had sat down and had a conversation with him. Um, I'm having moments like that as we're hyperpolarized and contentious. I'm having more moments where I finish an interaction and I'm like, shit, I wish I had just sat and asked a couple more questions. And so this is my reminder that uh, I should be doing that a little more frequently. So that was beautiful. And I think we should actually make most of the podcast about that. <clears throat> but was that inspired by me saying earlier, I'm, trying to learn to shut my mouth more and you burst out laughing. <laughs> no, it's funny. I had written this and then I added your quote. I've been trying to learn to shut my mouth more. Um, I had been thinking about this as well. Yeah, I, there, there might be a case of um, the, you know, one of the techniques we teach for dealing with people who are very angry is to, um, to just listen. But, it, but even the way I presented that, it's a technique, right? Because mm -hmm. the person exhausts themselves and they can't feed, feed from the fire of the, the comeback. So everybody starts feeling silly and the, the tension dissipates. Yeah. But at a more sort of societal level where um, we're in a... 
there are so many things going on with lots of people yelling at each other. This whole mantra of you can be right or you can make progress really mm -hmm. kind of kicks in. And maybe there's more energy goes into saying, what am I not going to fight for versus what am I going to fight for? Yeah. And that may be more effective. And it's, it's an interesting thing because the past decade or so, we've been told we're selling out if we accommodate any any things that we believe are wrong or incorrect. And um, But in the bigger picture, you might win that battle versus, you know, getting the outcome. And I think it's hard to distinguish too. You, you'll sort of say, hey, I'm conceding that point. Yeah. But are you really conceding that point or is it just a strategy to get the, the end piece? And we shouldn't delve too far into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. I, yeah. I think the, the question we're asking is what requires a fight and what requires just trying to better understand? And I think we're in such a place where we have our principles. I mean, we talk about fixed positions. We have our positions, and anything that's not that is untenable. I'm seeing this with Israel-Palestine. I'm seeing this around Taylor Swift. And uh, like, I, like, there are some real things that are morally reprehensible, but if somebody has done the thing, they're coming from a different position, and would it not be helpful to understand that? Um, some things are worth fighting for. Uh, we fight quite a bit on behalf of causes and clients that we are protecting. Um, I just, I like, I look back at some moments and I'm like, oh, there was probably something deeper that if I understood that, I probably could have gotten there with the person, the organization, through the conflict. And so a constant reminder, when I think about the, the monuments thing, everybody says, oh, that was the right fight to have. And I say, I probably miss something. I think about that regularly, probably once a week, that interaction that could have been three more questions and two fewer, you're an idiot because. I still think we missed something on taking down the monuments. And I, I mean this seriously, mm. was the, there were two arguments for how you treat them. One was, well, there were three, three fundamental ones. One was you take them down. Yeah. And the, the counter argument is you're erasing history. Yeah. Now, the people saying erasing history, uh, like, I disagreed with that, but I think there's a point about erasing history. Like, those monuments existed and they were history. Like, mm -hmm. they were put up for a reason. They were put up to, a, to, to oppress um, people of color. They weren't put up to oppress people of color. They were put up to oppress blacks. Like, yeah. let's be specific about the color. So, but then... There was another argument, which is you contextualize them. Uh, I don't kind of love that because nobody reads the little sign next to it that, that says. But the other was that you take their power away. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. And one of the things I thought about the graffiti, I actually thought the graffiti was beautiful and interesting. Yeah. I think if you'd sat down with this this bloke, yeah. you might have got him there as well. Yeah. Um, was... In many ways, I, I liked the graffiti monuments, but there were other arguments about, like, paint them pink. Mm. And <laughs> so leave them there, just paint them and take their energy away. And I thought there was there was something in that. There mm. was something because um, uh, uh, Kahindi Wiley is yeah. the sculptor yeah, yeah. of the, the, the of satirical the monument outside of the Virginia Museum of Fine Art, which is... Um, 
an African American guy on horseback wearing. I think he's wearing Nike. What's yeah, he, yeah. He so rumors of war. Uh, it's an equestrian <laughs> statue in the style of Stonewall Jackson uh, in front of the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. Um, by Kahinde Wiley, who also did the Obama portraits. But yeah, it's a black, young black man with, um, he's got locks in and is in urban streetwear. And I would say maybe a step beyond satirical as much as a, an examination of these imposing statues, just kind of conscripted for a different cause. And I, I dig it, I dig it, it's cool work. Yeah, so if you extended that, it was like, what, what could you do to, for the, what could you do for the statues, to the statues, yeah. that keep them in place? They don't erase history. Because now we sort of pretend they were never there in the first place. But they were there. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's again, but, but the righteous thing was like tearing them down. And yeah. I, yeah. I guess this all goes into the theme of try harder, which is you tell me <laughs> I should shut up more. <laughs> Oh, hey, uh, we we are back in town for the first time in um, a, a little bit. And I think through that lens, we're going to land this episode here so we can get to the familial obligations we both have. Uh, but before we go, where are you next? I am I'm not on a plane for 12 days. Oh. Uh, I'm going to scoot up to um, to a location in northeast Virginia and, as I mentioned, laser guns. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I'm here. I love it. Uh, I've got a day trip to Atlanta next week, and otherwise, I'm here. It's weird. So come to Richmond, Virginia, and buy us a cup of coffee. We'll see you then. I'm Ace Colwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And we will see you next time, maybe. Maybe.